to another episode of Between the Post. My name is Tyler Vaughn, and we have on a, a guest that is not necessarily new to the show, but certainly a welcomed guest back to the show. Sean, we're looking forward to speaking with you today, and obviously the first test that I have to successfully go through is the pronunciation of your last name, which is Afkamenia, correct? Spot on. There you go. I tell you what, man, I've been studying that for weeks since we last talked to you. I just didn't tell you that pre-show. No. <laughs> but, um, man, we're, we're excited to have you back on, and I know we chatted kind of off-air a little bit before we started, which is always so fun to kind of hear what's going on in your world, the struggles, the positives, the maybe not negatives, but the challenges, and I think that that's, uh, that's the real part about this particular podcast. Uh, not that others aren't doing it that way, but, I mean, it's the humbling part that, that every single time we speak, we're trying to really... Uh, not only improve what you and I are doing, whether it's out on a, a soccer field somewhere or, or in the organizations we work with, but obviously we try to bring all those perspectives to this particular show, to the episodes that we share together, and obviously the topics that we try to challenge and, uh, and tackle for others that are out there. So I'm pumped for this. I know you are. Um, we're going to do our best to kind of work through it from from the, the the ample experiences that I know you have and currently are going through and in starting Footy Factory, and uh, yeah, I mean, that leads me to the topic of the day here, which is creating a club culture, and um, there are so many different other other uh, podcast episodes from others out there, and I'm, I'm, I would never deter anyone from listening to those. Obviously, those are wonderful opportunities, but we're going to do our best to kind of try to tackle that. What does it mean to create a culture? Why, why go down the road, and, and frankly, why take on the workload of creating an improved culture at a soccer club or an association? Um, so we're going to do our best to kind of tackle that, not only why you would do it, but how you go about it on a relatively, um, lower level, just from the standpoint, I don't think we have quite the time to go into all the details and aspects, but we're going to do our best to kind of walk through what Sean, I know you've done and what we've talked about and why you've gone through that process. But of course, how you then address, um, you know, implementing a culture, uh, as it relates to what you guys have done very successfully, I know, and what you continue to work through because it's not an over-the-night kind of a process. It's, of course, something that requires a lot of respect, obviously an incredible amount of time and thoughtfulness uh, from a director standpoint. So I'm looking forward to diving into uh, what you guys have done in terms of creating a club culture at Footy Factory. Yeah, first of all, thanks for uh, thinking of me about this topic here. I think it's you know definitely one of the I'd say the most important thing that we're trying to instill in our club, the, the club culture is everything. And it's not, you know, about what you say necessarily or the things that are on your website, but it's about what you're doing every day, you know, in person, face to face with the kids and, 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 and building, you know, the, the character, the belief, you know, the desire inside of them to then translate to, you know, what, what they're able to do, outside of themselves and um i think that's i mean that's where it starts that's that's 100 percent where it starts with with everything and you know building that culture within the club is is um an area that just a lot of other clubs don't put enough emphasis on and i think that um you know they're 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 really dropping the ball and missing out on a huge opportunity there well, I think, too, not only to go along with exactly what I agree that you said, is I think that, obviously, the reason I wanted to start with you is because creating a club culture starts with the leadership that's involved. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's one person, per se, but it obviously means that there are either a group of leaders involved 
or at least there is a team of people that are working towards implementing whatever that culture might be. So obviously, hence the reason we wanted to start with you, and I wanted to start with you, because I know that you're leading that charge as it relates to your organization that has the impact on the players. So I definitely think that not only are you the, the perfect person to kind of bring in that perspective, you're doing what I know is going on out there in so many different states across the United States where you have these these groups that are pulling off and saying, hey, listen, we don't accept what's going on right now, whether it's the club scene or soccer in general in a, in a given area or a community and saying, hey, listen, we think we can do it a little bit better. And not only that, what you've mentioned, which is most important, is the idea that we can do it better for the players that are involved with our group. And, you know, I have all these conversations, uh, whether it's uh, phenomenal coaches that are that I'm involved with every single day out on the pitch that's uh, in the in the community that I work and I'm a part of, or whether it's coaches that have coached years times two of my lifetime uh, and have so much to give and so much uh, experience as it relates to not only what's on their resume, but obviously what they've gone through out on the fields over decades and decades of coaching. And I come from this uh, this particularly interesting standpoint that I'm just I'm searching to be a part of the the solution of soccer in the United States right now because I think that if we don't agree that we're a part of the solution, we we inevitably do become a part of the problem. Uh, so I think Absolutely. that yeah, I think that starting starting with you and it was natural for me and you know I've done a lot of uh, thinking through this particular topic lately and you know Damian Hughes is obviously one of the leaders I think that's been out there whether it's on podcast or whether he's you know, you're, you've, anyone who's listening has, has gotten into his book, The Barcelona Way, or uh, he also writes a book about Sir Alex Ferguson. So, I mean, we talk about these leaders, and I think you have to start there. So, therefore, obviously, we welcome you back to the show. We're looking forward to, to picking your brain a little bit. Um, we have coaches out there everywhere that are probably reflecting on what they see around them, uh, no matter where they are in a club, where they are from a you know, in terms of a, an influential standpoint, whether you're just a team coach or whether you potentially could be a part of the director staff or whether maybe you're even just a parent um, or even a player, right, that, that is looking and saying, what are we doing wrong or what could we be doing a little bit better? And I think that you, when you ask those questions, you dig into the culture. What is the culture? Do we accept uh, this, that, or the other thing? Or are we seeking to try to have long-term success and grow players? And I think that Culture is definitely a, a very deep talk, topic uh, that we can dive into, but I, hopefully it's going to be one that we can en- create some enlightenment on today through your experience and what you guys have gone through. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, as you mentioned before, it, it does start with leadership. And in my situation, you know, that, that's me. And it started with, you know, all the way back to me as a player and, and the experiences that I went through as, you know, it does with any coach. And, you know, finding um, the, the areas that I like and taking that and adding it and then, you know, subtracting the things that I didn't like and then finding a solution to that. And so, you know, when I say it starts with me, it starts with me in that I have to have the discipline in my everyday life to maximize my performance on the pitch as a coach. And if I'm not doing that, if I'm sending a bad example to my players, then I'm never going to be able to, you know, get what I want from them and, and, you know, really maximize their potential. And so, you know, they, teams follow their coaches. They're going to, they're going to mirror what the coach uh, offers. And, and so, you know, it's got to be, you've got to be 
presenting yourself in a way that shows players and parents exactly what is to be expected of them within games, within training sessions, within, you know, even just uh, on their own, out and about, because um, they represent us. And, and they need to understand that there's a standard that needs to be met being part of, part of a club, part of, you know, an organization that's bigger than them. And, um, you know, when, when you get that message across to them, really everything else just kind of falls into place. And so I think that's, that is the beginning for every player. Um, whether, you know, they're starting, uh, at, you know, five to six years old, just getting punches on the ball or, or, you know, whether they're already in high school looking to go on to college, like it starts with what's inside of them first. Well, I think that you're absolutely right, and I think that obviously one of the things that you're trying to accomplish when identifying a culture or or defining a culture, rather, whether it's a new organization like you guys have, newer, obviously you're not new anymore. Uh, I don't want to take away from all those years <laughs> that you guys have grinded it out and, and grown and become what you are today and what you continue to seek, but you know, you know, this is going on with clubs all throughout the nation, I think, and um, uh we're, we're, we're at a crossroads, and I think that the culture that potentially was the past, now now certain clubs are learning that, hey, listen, just because it was the past and it worked for us years back doesn't necessarily mean it's the direction that we need to be headed today. And we might need yeah. to kind of look in the mirror and re-identify with, you know, what what are the functions of this culture and and, and what matters to us most because – you know, those organizations, whether it's in business or it's in sport, those organizations that have a list of, uh, you know, it's like you've got 15 different non-negotiables. Well, listen, let's let's get real, especially from a coaching standpoint. After about three or four, as a, as a coach myself, I'm thinking, well, I didn't really remember the first three, but I'm sure not going to remember the next six, right? So, I mean, it's like, let's simplify this. And we keep talking about that. And you know, so I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit, if that's okay. And, um, I, you know, obviously I think that, that culture is, is really an expression of an organization's uh, values, uh, the attitudes that they carry, uh, and obviously the goals that they have collectively. And, and, and I love, love your, your philosophy and kind of what you're saying is that old quote, right, that old theory of it's not necessarily what you say you're going to do, but it's what you do when no one's looking. And I think that that that's where culture stands on its own, and you have to create that. Where uh, if it's from an, a director standpoint, like your own, it's it's kind of like well, when I'm in the room, everyone's everyone's on the on the straight and narrow. But when I walk away, and when I walk away from the training pitch, do we revert back to our old habits? Do we revert back to what's easiest? So I know that you've gone through that, and I know that it might be putting you on the spot a little bit. So I do apologize in advance, but I did want to kind of talk through. How did you identify when you were, uh, when you and I, I, I know collectively probably um, some of the colleagues that you work with in the community, you know, what what were you seeing that was going on that made you think, not only could I do this better, and obviously the answer is yes, I think I can, so you did, but but when you when you really took a step back, what did you think that, that Footy Factory was going to represent from a value standpoint, from the attitude and you know, what goals did you guys kind of set forth to try to achieve? And I know that you've probably exceeded those by now from our conversations, but I want to kind of talk through that. It's kind of the, you know, what values does, does Footy Factory represent that offers something a little different to players? 
Yeah, I mean, if if you just completely take away the soccer aspect of it, what we are looking for in a player and, and what we're looking to develop in a player is, uh, like I said before, what's inside of them, their character, you know, their, their, their values, their moral code, um, their personality, like, you know, their behavior and training, the way that they interact with their teammates, the way that they interact with referees and other coaches and other opponents, like, all those things, um, are so important that, that really just gets overlooked a lot. And, um, and, and so in order to, to show the players what you want to see, you also have to be performing it. You can't just tell them you want something and then, and then your behavior represents something completely different. Um, and so, you know, a good example of that is, <clears throat> I'll just use, this is probably my, you know, looking back in my uh, coaching career so far, like this is probably the one moment where I I regret my action and I've learned from that. And and that was, you know, first of all, I'm a super competitive person. I'm like, I, 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 I want to win, you know, especially as a player like that, you know, was kind of what uh, uh, defined me as a player and what led to other things that I was able to do as a player. But it started with that competitive drive. Like, whatever sport I was in, I wanted to be the best at it. I wanted to win. And then once I started focusing in on soccer, then that's obviously where I, you know, was able to refine my ability a little bit more. Um, but with that said, you know, I'm, I'm extra competitive. I always want to win. And sometimes, especially when I was just starting out as a coach, I let that kind of go a little bit over the top. And so... There was a, a tournament that we were playing in down in Austin, which is about three hours south of Dallas here. Um, and I was with my under-12 boys last year. And, you know, we uh, we were playing really well. Um, you know, we had a good tournament so far, and it came down to the last group game, which decided whether or not we were going to advance into the knockout stages. And we were playing the top team in the group. We you know, I tied one and lost one up to that point, lost one that we really should have won, but, you know, sometimes those are the way things go, and so it got to this last game, you could tell, like, both teams were ready to compete against each other, they were equal levels, so it's going to be a good, hard-fought, competitive game on both sides, and and uh, we just felt really, you know, um, I guess, for lack of a better, better word, just screwed over by the referees a lot in that game. And, um, you know, I just let my emotions get the best of me and and was just harping at the referee too much and ended up getting kicked out five minutes from the, from the end of the game. So it really had no impact on the game, but it had a huge impact in how the, the parents viewed me and how, you know, the players even viewed me too. And so it really took a lot of um, self-reflection after that and, you know, me taking a step back, apologizing for my actions and, and learning from them, and then also showing the parents and the players going forward that I was going to make a change with those actions. And, I, and, and the main thing was that, you know, I would never tolerate them behaving that way. And so in order for me to, you know, actually expect them to, to uh, hold themselves to that standard, I had to hold myself to that standard. And so, you know, I'm completely different on the sidelines now in games. Like, I still get, you know, hyped up. I still get very, you know, in your face sometimes, you know, but it's towards my own players when they're not, uh, you know, doing things that they know just they should be doing. And 
And when I'm coaching, it, it's all situational. Um, you know, the things that I'm telling them are based on their positioning, you know, their transitions and things like that. But on the ball, you know, they're making their own decisions. So I don't really say much in those situations. But um, if there are situations where, you know, we're just not getting enough energy from a certain player or a group, you know, someone's out of position, they're not staying disciplined, then, you know, I'll, I'll raise my voice, I'll get loud, but, you know, I, I don't talk to referees anymore, and if my players ever, you know, say something to the referee, I'm always, you know, quick to, to nip it in the bud, um, because, you know, the more that you let them get away with, the more that they're going to try to get away with, and, um, you know, you just got to you just got to let them know what's acceptable and what's not. And, and that's determined not by what you're telling them is acceptable and what's not, but by the way you carry yourself and, and the behavior that, that you show them. And so then with that too, you know, obviously I've got to um, not only, you know, show that myself, but also my entire coaching staff has got to show that. So then now I'm working with my coaches to make sure that, you know, they're uh, implementing the type of culture we want to see in their own teams and their own sessions. And that's what takes time. And, and, you know, the implementation of a culture is what takes the longest. And then I think, you know, and, and we're in year five. So, you know, we're still in that stage of implementing the culture. Um, and maybe we will be forever. But um, I think that once you kind of establish that, that foundation of, of the value that you expect, within your organization, then they kind of speak for themselves whenever new players, new coaches come in. Well, I tell you what, man, I'm not a psychologist, but I think you hit on so many phenomenal points there, literal gold nuggets, if we could dissect that a little bit. I mean, you know, not only did you touch on just the philosophy of leading by example, and I think the most important thing that that I take away from that is that you understand that it's it's not the coaches, and I think it's important that the coaches really reflect on the fact that we're not expected to be perfect. We just need to make sure that we remember we're not perfect. I think that's the problem is we need to understand right. we aren't perfect. And then in opportunities where we could, you know, lead by example, now that means a lot of different things. Now that, that could be by how you carry yourself on the sidelines. Now listen, the only game I ever got thrown out of was when I was in my first early years of coaching. I was still coming off that high of – you know, playing at the collegiate level and thinking I would just destroy anyone and everyone that walked into the 18-yard box, no questions asked, and I still had that fire. So I haven't lost the fire, and I know that, you, you know, you're at that same point uh, as well, but it's not, you don't lose the fire, you just kind of redirect it, right? So Exactly, the, you got to control that, yeah. that, that emotion. And you have to remember, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of a funny story of uh, me getting thrown out of a game, but... Um, but, uh, and it's, there's only one story, thank goodness, it won't take very long, but you know, it's one of those things that I finally realized that anytime I act like that, there are all these eyes that are, that are looking and observing what I'm doing. And, and unfortunately kids are defined by the environments they surround themselves in and kids learn from the environments and especially the adults in their lives. And, um, I think that I learned that pretty quickly and I realized that, listen, it's, this isn't, this isn't about my behavior on the sidelines and there, there are other ways to, you know, infuse energy into a team on the field. Um, yes, that's, that's through the words that you say and, and how you decide to carry yourself and when you decide to speak up, but it's more importantly what you say. Uh, and I think that that's one of those things that I learned very, very quickly, um, Thank goodness it wasn't through accumulating loads of cards, but I did have to write one very interesting um, 
apology letter to uh, the referee assigner so that I could coach the final uh, the next day <laughs> after I got chucked out <laughs> chucked out of a game. But it was interesting, you know. It was that classic story of you know, the ref was clearly wrong, right? I mean, there's no coach that's ever wrong, but you know, no, nonetheless, yeah. and. I spoke up and I was tossed rather quickly, but uh, come to find out, you, you can't abuse referees like you see the pros doing on TV, ironically, in the youth league at a youth 14, 15 level. Apparently, they just don't like to take the same abuse, but um, I don't know why that is. But uh, yeah, I, I, I got tossed out of the game and I ended up coaching like Rambo from the trees, you know, in the woods nearby. And, you know, I'm phoning a parent who's standing on the sidelines. So, I mean, I look back on it now and it's this hilarious thing that. Was so could have been so avoidable, right? I mean, not yet. Right. Yeah, it makes for a great story where I'm, you know, ducking behind trees and and trying to watch the game from these crazy perspectives in the woods. But um, but you know, it's a lesson to be learned, and I think that any coach that's coached long enough learned it pretty early on that it's really not worth you putting your energy into, you know, things that you can't change, but instead putting your energy into the things you can, and it's those those children and those players that are on the bench, right, that are looking and their eyes are on you and. You know, I think we tend to forget that, but it's all about the culture thing that you mentioned. It's like, what are the values that we, the leaders, have? And if my values appear to be, for 90 minutes, right, different than what they really are, that's sending a very confusing message to both parents who are paying customers at the club level, right? Uh, or more importantly, and most unfortunately, the players that are looking up to you for advice, for guidance of how to behave, of how to grow up, and of course, of how to be a better player. So... I mean, I know I missed a lot of things there, but I didn't want to dissect it. And I think you, you hit on so many wonderful concepts, which is just the the principles and the standards that you hold yourself accountable to. Because if you don't hold yourself accountable to those same standards of behavior, then I don't think there's any way that we could ever implement a culture and implement uh, those standards with others, especially with kids. Uh, you talked about the timeline of how long it takes for culture. And I think that's the one thing that we've got to really get out here up front. Culture isn't something that you can change overnight. It's not something that you can change very quickly. It's certainly not something that if you think it's a season, a season-long season endeavor, it's, it's not. It's generations. It's making sure that you, you have um, uh, examples that are probably the, the, the directors, or if there are no directors, it's the board. If there are, isn't a board or, or if it's not applicable, it's the coaches. And having the buy-in from the leaders of the organization is the most important and the most critical because – Players are going to come and go, but how do you define yourself? And that's by those who are the leadership that remain. So I think that, uh, you know, that that I, I hope I just got into a lot of the, the things that I heard you say so poignantly. And um, I know that those that are listening definitely took away some some really positives from the things you guys are doing. So, I mean, obviously, you know, I know that, that part of you guys, you said, hey, listen, this is probably not what's going on right now. And I know a lot of the, the changes from our conversations in the past that you wanted to really address were, were training and how players were training and the methods behind the training that, that you wanted to try to improve upon, which I know you have. But I mean, what were the goals that you realistically had when you guys said, listen, obviously part of the issue is we don't necessarily agree with the training methodology that's being implemented in our community, but what goals did you realistically have? I mean, I have to think that you know, you're introducing anytime uh, there's this this interesting little, uh, I don't know whether it's a quote or just a, kind of an analogy with change. And 
we've, I've thought about this lately and some things that, that I'm kind of going through and supporting uh, with the local organization that I'm at that is changing an, is an interesting beast. Uh, when, when someone steps up to try to, to produce change or to implement change in some fashion, there are ultimately two outcomes when you stick your neck out there. Uh, either you get your head chopped completely off, right? Or you do implement that change. And I think that it's either succeed or fail. And unfortunately, because change is so darn complicated and so uncomfortable for people, uh, whether it's in, again, business, life, or sport, it's all the same. No one likes change. So I want to hear a little bit more about, you know, what goals did you guys have going into this, knowing you you probably had, to a certain extent, a bit of an uphill battle? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for one, like, it's something that I'm continuing to get better at every year. Like, it's not as if I just had all the answers right away and just made it happen. You know, I had to live through experiences to understand you know, number one, what, what, how I need to be acting. And then number two, how to communicate the values that we are trying to instill in the rest of our organization. And so, you know, it starts with, obviously it starts with me first, you know, anything, anything that goes wrong in my business is essentially my fault. So I need to make sure that I'm hiring coaches that I can trust and that have that, that integrity about them. And um, so, you know, our whole, our whole company, our whole club is built on that foundation of trust. And so, you know, if I have coaches that I can't trust, then obviously, like, it's never going to go anywhere. So I need to make sure that I'm doing a good job of hiring staff. And, um, you know, so my first four years, like, I had a lot of turnover. I wasn't doing my due diligence in, you know, uh, in the hiring process, I was just bringing guys on because I, I needed help and they were available. And, you know, regardless of how bad you need somebody, you should never just hire somebody just to, just for that reason. You know, you need to make sure that they fit your mold. And, and once they do, then you just continue adding people like that, you know, that have that same, uh, you know, value, that same character about them that maybe offer, you know, a different um, um, value to the organization in, in whatever way. You know, you, all of our coaches have different styles. They have different, you know, voices that they use and and, and ideas that they want to um, – exercises, ideas that they want to implement into their sessions that fit, you know, the, the main ideology of our club. And so you want to allow them – do that as long as it it fits within that structure, and um, and then once you have a staff that that you know is all on the same page, that you know is professional and and you know uh, just gives a, that that look to everyone else that they have it together, they know what they're doing, and you know they're in a constant search of improving themselves to improve others and once you have that then you can start to implement it so it starts with me then it's my coaches and then the last part of it is instilling it into the players and the parents and so you know one one major thing that I uh, stepped up with this year was making sure I had a set handbook of, uh, of policies and procedures for players and parents and in that handbook it goes you know all the way through and basically explain everything 
anything that we would want to see in terms of their conduct at training at games, you know, all the way down to um, administrative type stuff, you know, making sure payments are made in a timely manner and things like that. And so, you know, one thing that I, I mentioned to parents and players is they're the first impression of our club. Like when, a, when a, another team sees us, it's not the coach that they're looking at first. And it's definitely not programs in our actual training sessions. Most of the time when people see us for the first time, it's at games. And so what they're looking at is how the team plays and then also how they act and how the parents act on the sidelines. And so, you know, what I'm trying to get them to understand and it's never going to be something where everyone will be in full agreement all the time. But the best you can do is just continue to communicate uh, as much as possible so that they do understand what it is we're working for as an organization. Well, I, so when they... No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. They, yeah, so when they understand that, you know, it's on them to uh, create that image of, you know, class within the club then I think that they're more understanding of their role. And, and so that's the biggest thing is just getting them to understand that they do play a role in, in, in our club continuing to grow. Well, I, you, you made that sound really great and really easy, but let me, let me sum that up. So what you just described is probably, in my opinion, and I would imagine in, in collectively um, the soccer community's opinion, the hardest aspect of implementing a culture and changing one, which is buy-in. Uh, that's basically yeah. what you were talking about is creating that buy-in and that is by far the absolute hardest thing to do. And it's probably one of the things that I would imagine nine out of 10 times when people are looking at, at an opportunity to in, improve a culture or even just instill a culture, whether that's big picture or in small particular aspects, potentially it's the buy-in. It's the it's the pushback. It's the well. It's not worth it. And if it's not worth it, then why am I going to spend my energy and my time in trying to change the minds of others? And I think that that's what you've tackled, and that sums up exactly what you've done so well. And you know, I don't want I don't want to that uh, that particular philosophy to go kind of unnoticed in the fact that what you just described there is so eloquently and just merely about a minute and a half. I mean, that's taken, what, five years? I mean, not probably the whole time, but I mean, you're probably still working on it on some level and talking about the, yeah, the, ha- the handbook and making changes and tweaks. And and it's going from um, a survival mode to to what, what of course, happens with any new new project or any new uh, new opportunity, whether it's a business like you, you're, you're going through, whether it's starting a club. or Look, there is a period that you, you have these really uh, phenomenal high-level goals and aspirations. And then when the rubber meets the road, it's kind of like, well, wait a second. How do I do this, right? And I know this is the answer. I know this is what's needed, but how do I do it? And it's and it's surrounding yourself, like you mentioned, with the right people. And that's not easy. It's not easy to find coaches that buy into that um, particular philosophy and the mentality that I know that you've worked so hard to create. Uh, and it's not easy to have players buy in at younger ages. Um, it, it's not easy. Uh, certainly, it's not easy for parents who are paying money and want results. Well, unfortunately, that's not always what it has to be about. And that's very tricky. So 
I definitely don't want it to go um, unnoticed and that <laughs> though you took a small amount of time to kind of summarize that, that's likely probably the biggest challenge that anyone listening uh, on any level, uh, certainly in the position that you're in, in a community uh, where where you're trying to do better, but obviously, you know, it's it isn't it isn't easy to swim upstream, right? And and I think that that's one of the things that I don't want to go unnoticed because you're doing a very phenomenal job and a wonderful job at that. So, I mean, th- th- yeah, and and I want to make one thing clear: it's it's not just about putting it in writing, having everyone sign a contract, and then just expecting them to live up to those standards. That's not going to happen. But it's got to be in the messages that you. Uh, uh, portray with 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 your actions, with your body language, with actually the things that you're saying every single day in training, out of training, at games, and and that you know starts with uh, uh, the players, and and then also with the parents too, having one on one conversations with them. If if you see you know some behavior that you don't like, just addressing it, and, and not in a confrontational way, but just a way that you know gets them to understand that. Um, it's it's bigger than them, you know, and and it's not a, it's not about them, and and it's about their kids and you know their their uh, ability to develop at their own pace. And um, so yeah, it, it's it's you can't just write it down and expect it to just happen because it's not. You know, it, it's got to be it's got to be continued to hammer the home in in your actions and your words day in and day out. Well, I think that what you know, kind of what I'm hearing you say, is that it can't be gimmicky, right? Where a lot of where a lot of coaches and a lot of organizations go wrong is they buy into the the newest, best philosophy and idea or approach that's out there on the market, or that's the most expensive, easiest, best thing that they can possibly buy at the time. Whether that's a training device or a training methodology, I think that that for sure, it's one of the struggles that we have in a time where U.S. soccer is trying to re, redefine itself. Um, I think that, that that right now is unfortunately what what traps so many cult, cultures out there or coaches that are seeking directors that are seeking to define their culture or or reinvigorate the one they previously had is they buy into the, the newest gimmick that's there and um, they run it for a couple years and then all of a sudden it's not working and they say, well, what's the newest one? Whereas I think you guys have taken the approach that I really love, which is, hey, let's get back to the basics. Let's get back to the accountability. And I think that that word overall, when, when we're talking about implementing a culture with an association or implementing a culture with a team uh, or with a group of coaches, parents, whatever it might be, I think there has to be accountability. Because again, it's not what, it's not what everyone does when the, when, the, when the head boss is in charge is there and they're watching, right? It's not... It's not what coaches do when you're out there observing their training sessions and you're taking notes and you're asking the questions that make them think. It's what coaches do when you're not present. Uh, it's what parents are doing on the sideline when they think the kids aren't listening and paying attention, and yet they are, right? It's not what the coach is doing on the sidelines when they're yelling at the ref because the emotions get involved like we've all done, uh, and we forget the fact that players are learning from that, right? And I, I think that it's that accountability of holding yourself accountable and those around you that's most critical to the success and the failure of a culture, whether that's team wide or association wide. Um, so I think Absolutely. that, yeah, I think that, that that's something I know that you've learned and I know that that's something you probably continue to struggle with. And so, I mean, I will, I, I, this probably is a bit of a tough question to ask, but I mean, how did you go about, um, 
not training coaches or but how did you go about vetting coaches or getting the buy-in I guess how how did you go about that right I mean I think so as we look at cultures and we wanted to talk about why would you go about trying to change a culture and I think we've touched on that briefly but you know then how do you go about it and buy-in is such a huge one how how did you go about getting coaches to buy in yeah I mean that's that's one thing that um, you know I feel like I definitely need to get down in, in in writing. You know the same way that we have a curriculum for developing our players, we need to have a curriculum for developing our coaches too. And um, it's something that I don't have yet, but it's all just been based on my experience. And and like I said before, just continuing to have one on one conversations in person, and and then also setting a good example for them too. You know, like. One one big thing that, that we're going through right now, the weather's been horrible for us recently. Luckily, we train on a turf field outside, so, you know, if it's raining, we can still train. Um, but obviously, you know, lightning and things like that, we got to cancel. Now, with that said, you know, a lot of parents are expecting us to cancel training when it rains. And so we get tons of questions every single time the weather's a little bit bad. Hey, are we training today? Are we training today? It's like, yes, guys, you know, if there's no lightning, we are off. And and so, you know, with that, like, I've got to switch it on in my brain. Obviously, it's uncomfortable for me to go out in the cold, rainy weather to run sessions because I'm not moving around. I'm sitting there coaching, you know. And, um, and so, obviously, that's not something I want to do, but it's something I have to do because if I cancel a session – then what kind of message is gonna is that gonna send to my players when it's a little bit uncomfortable? We just quit, right? No, exactly. You know, you, you gotta you gotta you gotta teach them to fight through adversity. You know, you want to put obstacles in their path to make them work through that. And so then, you know, even some of my coaches like complain about the weather if if uh, it's bad and we decide to still train. It's like God, like, you know, there's no lightning. We're training, so you know, suck it up. Like this well, is, think- is an outdoors is an outdoor sport, like. You know, so we got to start toughening up these kids too, and and that's that's one major culture change that we're trying to 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 make. It right, you know, just it's we got to have tougher kids mentally, physically, all of it. You know, like they can't just they can't just quit when things are not comfortable. I agree, and um, and so that's that's one main thing. But um, yeah, going back to what I was saying before, just continuing to have. The conversations with them one on one, you know, talking to them about what is to be expected and 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 what's not, and you know, you can tell who is about it by just the way that they respond to you. If you can see that they're, you know, maintaining eye contact, they're you know trying to really like think about what it is you're saying and and how it applies to them, then you know that they're serious about improving and and helping the club grow, but you know, you can tell right away if they just don't care what you're saying. And then at that point, then you know it's it's not going to be a good fit. And yeah. you can find someone who is going to be a good fit. Well, listen, so I definitely agree with you. I think that we unfortunately as a society have created a societal culture in the United States, but uh, probably bigger than the United States, but we'll stick with that right now. But we have created a society of, of excuses, uh, where we as oh, yeah. as humans, whether it's the coaches or the players or the parents, you know, it's the funniest thing in the world. And I'll give you an analogy of, of something in here in a second. But, you know, it's funny how it's, it is always ironically f- 
funny to me that parents are the first ones that don't want to head out to the fields whenever there's poor weather out. Well, yeah. why that's interesting to me is the parents don't have to sit out in the weather. The coaches and the players have to train in it. But more importantly, the parents are the ones that are shoveling out loads of money for that training session. Do the math, right? right. I mean, and, and again, this is yeah. this is putting a little bit of the pressure on the clubs, but I think that that's where we're at currently. We have to remember that these parents, for the most part, are paying customers. And, you know, on yeah. the flip side of what you're saying is the philosophy that I think as parents we need to be supportive, uh, encouraging players to get out there. Because here's what we're forgetting. What happens when you have that match that game on a Saturday or a Sunday and the weather's poor, and yet every single time you had that, ex- same, that exact same weather scenario, training was canceled. Kids went to turf, not because of the situation. I know this is different what you're saying, but let's just say they went indoors. Well, training is better indoors than not training at all, but my point is if we it's shield a, yeah, them. Yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a safer environment, right. but are we putting those obstacles in the way? So I think what you're getting at is when they actually go and play a match, in those kinds of conditions, how are they going to perform? Yeah, you have you to know, evolve. They, you have to evolve, right? You make exactly. decisions. They, you make never decisions. Been in those conditions before, so how can how can they how can they be successful? Yeah, and, I, I totally and, agree. Yeah, I, I think the answer is there's no way they can. Well, I mean, listen, and, the best players in the world, wherever they come from, they haven't come from the United States. They've come from impoverished. Uh, countries impoverished towns where where if they didn't you know and I've, I've talked to many guys that, that you know are, are from this time period I'm not saying they're older I'm saying they're experienced but they you know this was a time where you, the best players in the world even the Messies right they they came from they came from nothing and they played soccer because they had no other way out uh, and if they didn't train, uh, or if they didn't play, rather, there was no training necessarily when they were growing up, but they created the environments, they created the soccer ball, they didn't have shoes, they didn't have, you know, that beautifully air-conditioned or beautifully climate-controlled indoor facility to go and jump into. Now, we're not talking, obviously, for those that are hearing it from a different perspective, we're not saying put players and coaches and anyone in danger, but my point is, we all understand that when the pitch is wet and soft, it changes the way you think about the moves you make, the passes you decide to go for, or potentially the decisions that obviously you as a player ha- have to really think through in a split second. And I think that there is so much opportunity there that we might potentially be missing it just to pull training or to cancel training. And I don't think that that, that comes down to, again, creating a culture of, of high achievers uh, where the standards are high, where the expectations are high, but the accountability is even higher. And I think that, you know, we're kind of summarizing that philosophy as it ties back into, you know, why would you decide to do that? Which is, well, listen, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you have to train during the weeks for what you can expect and those things you potentially can't even expect on the weekends. And I think that we are looking for far too many excuses to get out of certain things. And I think that that does boil down to the expectations of a culture. Whether I think what you're saying is brilliant. It's, listen, if we can't go on the fields, right, 9 out of 10 clubs cancel completely. It's that 1 out of 10 clubs that looks for a solution in some form. Now, I was at a club prior to the one I'm at right now. And I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I'm just telling you they had the opportunity where so many coaches, when we had cancellations on the grass fields, we had one turf field, one. Um, there were a lot of teams. 
that fit on that one turf field. You had an hour, and there were about 10 teams on a regulation size. Basically, it ended up being a football field, so it was a little bit larger in some areas. But we had about 8 or 10 teams. You had your own space, and that's all you had. Do you know how many people were complaining about that? Pretty much everybody. Because a lot of people were looking at it as a hindrance. They weren't looking at it from the ability that they could have, which would have been, all right, small small space, small-sided. More, 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 uh, more focus on uh, maximizing touches in a small area. More focus on quick ball movement in a small, tight area. Let's not look at the, the, the issues, the problems, and the negatives. Let's look at the positives. And I think that boils down to the culture. But it boils down to how the culture is filtering out across the coaches and across the players. And it's the mindset you create and you allow when they come to train or when they come uh, to the games on the weekends. And I think that, uh, you know, I know we might be a slightly off tangent, but I think we're still tied right back into some of the things that are going on out there that, you know, I would encourage people to try their best to to improve or change, which is the mindset, right? If you're not training, you're not improving. And if you're not improving, you're getting worse. There is no such thing as staying the same in this sport and in this game. So I definitely understand where you're coming from and think that that's a, a massive positive for sure that you guys are certainly doing different. I mean, it's the one out of ten thing. I mean, it's it's not to blow smoke right now at you, but you know what I mean. It's it is the one out of ten. It's uh, so many so many clubs are up. Oh, light we've got a lightning radar and all of a sudden it goes off. It's malfunction. There's a there's sun in the sky. Right, boom, blah, lightning. You know, we got to cancel again. I'm not saying yeah. put, no, don't put people in danger. That's not my point. So, but I mean, I think we look for far too many excuses. And the analogy I was going to give you is, I, so I, like many people, I'm sure I I, uh, I grew up, and the first job I had was being a lifeguard. And what was the one thing I prayed for every single time I ever worked uh, went to work? Thunderstorm, thunderstorm. Yeah. Go hang out for yeah. hours on end, not working, not doing anything, getting paid for it. Right. right. But we can't have that mentality. I'm not saying then it made sense as a teenager, but my point is I think we've adopted that mentality. Look for every opportunity and excuse to have lower expectations as opposed to looking for the solution to raise your expectations and to try to deliver a pure quality experience for players, whether that's on a hard top, indoors because you can't go out, or whether that's literally meeting and watching some film. I don't know what the opportunities and the level is, but there are so many ways that you can gain knowledge in situations that most people look for opportunities to pack it up and go home. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, what you just said kind of leads me into the next thing that I was about to say is, is that, you know, this we're, we're trying to develop future leaders, not just in soccer, but in life. And, yeah. and a lot of these values represent successful people, not just soccer players. And, you know, it, it definitely is more... Uh, uh, you can see it more in athletes because you're forced to fail. You're forced to, you know, uh, fall down and get back up. Like, that is just something that you have to deal with as an athlete. And it's something that I think a lot of just regular people don't get enough experience in. And so, you know, you're trying to develop that mental toughness, that, you know, positive reaction to adversity so that, even if they don't end up being a soccer player when they grow up, if they, you know, become anything that they do, they've got to have that mental strength and, 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 you know, obviously holding, like what you said earlier, holding themselves accountable and then being able to, as a leader, hold others accountable too. Um, and, and so, you know, that's the key. That's the key is, is, is developing that, 
mentality for them to be successful in all walks of life. I tell you what, man, that, that right there is probably one of the most important things. And when I'm out on the fields coaching or when I'm thinking through having conversations like this, or whether when I'm just reflecting, doing self-reflection on where I am as a coach and what the, what are the impacts that I potentially could have with the players that are in front of me, the coaches that are around me, and the organization that I'm a part of. And that's why I knew that you would be the right person for this conversation. Because we have to remember at the end of the day, and this goes back to Carl DeWazi and a good friend who I've gotten to know very well through this show, that it's not necessarily about the games that we're playing, but it's about the children's lives who we're impacting. And I think that we have to realize that 90%, I would imagine, maybe potentially more, maybe 95%, 95% of the players that we are all interacting with, they will not make a life out of playing soccer. They will, however, be a part of life after soccer. And instead of stamina on the pitch, they need to have stamina in life. They need to be able to deal with the adversity, deal with the challenges, deal, deal with those scenarios that they potentially thought were impossible and unavoidable, and yet somehow make their way through them. And I think that that's the stamina that sports, whether we have a good culture or a bad culture, but sports offer human beings. And I think that it's incumbent upon those of us in charge as leaders to really provide those opportunities for struggle, for failure even. I think that failure is one of the best things that we can allow players to go through because if they fail, they learn. They learn ways not to do things. Who is it? You know, I mean, there's so many different quotes and analogies that are out there, but I think that one of the the best ones is that, you, you know, I think it's if you fail, fail backwards so that if you can look up, you can get up. You know, it's these gimmicky little things we talk about, but I mean, I think that we have to take a step back and really understand that we're creating successful human beings, and that's what sport does. That's what team culture does, and that's what we're all collectively working towards. Because again, we want them to be the best players on the pitch, we want them to be the best players for the team, and we want them to be the best individuals they can be in the sport. But when they don't have the sport, potentially they're the coach in all of our positions that's now making an impact on 15 or 20 other players, right? Maybe they go on to be a director, maybe they go on to be a coach at a higher level, maybe they go on to be one of the next leaders in U.S. soccer. We don't know, but we have to provide an environment that is conducive to supporting that growth, that is conducive to building that player, and that is conducive to supporting um, what ends up being the leaders of the future for all of us, right? They're the next generation. And how are we, or what are we doing rather, to support them naturally through growth, through sports, right? And I think that that's why, uh, that's why you belong here talking about this. That's what you're doing. And I think it's what's so admirable about Footy Factory and the philosophy and culture that you've created. We have to remember that at the end of the day, we take the soccer ball away, what's left? Well, we hope that we have someone who is respectful to others, who is a hard worker, who has high values, a positive attitude, and is able to set goals and, and hopefully meet those goals uh, and do that all over again, right? Because that's, that's the future. Uh, and I think that that for sure is why I wanted to get your perspective on all this good stuff as it relates to creating a culture and importantly, you know, what does it mean to do that? And I think there's so much more to it that's important as it relates to just putting a soccer ball at some kid's feet and saying, hey, listen, for the next 45, 90 minutes, whatever it might be, you know, go out there and knock it around and see if you can win a game. You know, we had to dissect it a little bit further and provide a little bit more insight from an intelligent level than I think maybe potentially some of us, if we look in the mirror, are really doing. Yeah, 100%. And, and you know, this is not as, it's not as if, like, 
you know, I don't struggle with those same uh, insecurities and and just, you know, negative beliefs about myself and my abilities. Like, it happens to everybody. But the key is, you know, when you fail, which I've failed so many times in my life, when you fail, what are you going to do with it? And are you going to let it, you know, drag you down? Or are you going to learn from it and, and, and move forward and get better? And, um, you know, so the key is, the key is, even when you don't feel like it, you still got to do something every day to get you closer to where you want to be. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty much the, the core to, I guess, the culture that we're trying to create at Food Factory. Well, I think that, you know, it, it definitely is something that, that leaves me knowing that you guys are trying to go about it the right way because you publicly admitted that you aren't perfect. And, you know, I know we're kind of joking about that, but listen, I mean, we've, oh, I've, I've, yeah, I've said it, I'm I've serious. said it, yeah, I've said it time and time again, right? Where, you know, I might come across here as this, uh, I wouldn't say I'm reserved for those that know me. I'm not in any stretch reserved, but, you know, I'm pretty calm as it, re- you know, relates to, to my energy on a soccer field here on the show. But I mean, when I get out there, I'm full energy and full passion and you're going to know that and the kids are going to know that. But listen, it's all about controlling that and directing that into a positive and productive manner. And I think that that's one of the things that, again, we hope that we've communicated in creating that culture um, through potentially failure because that's what it's about as coaches, as parents, in the household. Life is all about failure. And it's simply just an opportunity to to learn from your mistakes and to do them a little bit better. And I think that that's what building culture is all about, which is learning. It's learning from what others are doing. That's the, the benefit and advantage and the only reason for this podcast's existence is to collect ideas, opinions, and voices like yours, to bring them together, to talk through topics and ideas that we're facing out there as a culture, a soccer culture in the United States and to try to support the growth that others are going through and or encourage them to take the steps, to put their necks out there. Because, yes, indeed, it possibly might not go your way. right? I've seen it, I've seen it too many times where someone has the best ideas in the world. They stick their neck out there. And guess what? The club or the association isn't ready to hear the truth. But unfortunately, that should not be something that takes the, that particular coach or that particular set of coaches and, and dejects them. You know, it's that failure that we take and we learn from. And I hope that today, uh, through Sean's perspective with Footy Factory, it's a wonderful one. And, uh, you know, I, I knew as I was digging into this myself that you would be just the right guy to bring on because you're living it right now. You're going through it. You're creating it. You're learning from the past and you're trying to create a better future. And again, we talked about this, right? We, we want to be a part of the solution, not the problem that faces the children today and the kids today that are playing uh, there are enough challenges out there already as it relates to being a kid that's growing up. Uh, hopefully, the soccer field is an opportunity for them to express themselves, for them to learn about themselves, and to learn about building relationships with others. And I think through the support of a positive culture like Sean, you guys are creating, obviously, you're having an impact on players that is is probably un, unseen right now and not necessarily visible to the naked eye. But I think that it's those conversations you know, that we all have years and years down the road. Uh, This is very true in education with teachers is that you have those kids that were the biggest pain in the butt that you've ever had in your life, right? That we battle and we face, whether it's on a soccer field or not, 
that you face and face for years when they're gone, you praise God that they're gone and they're away and you never have to see them again. But it's always those kids that come back. And it's always those kids that they appreciate the hard work, the time, and the effort that you invested in their life. And I think that's what coaches have to think about when we seek defining cultures, implementing cultures, and understanding how do we go about that, why do we go about that, and in what method should we go about that. So in conclusion here with today's episode, obviously, Sean, I want to give you the floor of... um, kind of wrapping up for us if there's anything I missed out on. Uh, more importantly, I want to make sure that those that are out there can kind of take a closer look. I know that on the last episode you and I were on, uh, and obviously off air on the show, uh, we chat all the time about the wonderful resources that you have out there. Uh, I know that YouTube is something you're, you've kind of got into in the past and are going to look back into in the future. So I know there's ways that people can find out more about what you guys are doing and follow along and give you some love on social media. Uh, but but uh, anything to wrap up the show and obviously want to give you an opportunity to kind of tell people how they can get a hold of you. Uh, um, I know that you're always willing to answer questions and connect with people and coaches out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so I guess just my closing point would just be what are, what are you doing every day? What are you doing in terms of your daily routine? Are you disciplined in, you know, just trying to improve yourself daily? And uh, if you are doing that, then you're headed in the right direction. But if you're not, then you need to take a look in the mirror and you need to, you know, ask yourself, are you really doing the best you can? And, and it starts with you. And then once you have yourself under control, then then only at that point are you able to have an influence on others in that area. So, yeah, I would say, you know, that would be the biggest thing. Just, just, just find it within yourself. You got to have that self-control in order to, you know, in order for it to translate to the rest of your organization. So um, if you guys want to check us out, our website is www.foodiefactory.us. Um, that's spelled F-O-O-T-Y, Factory. And um, all of our socials are on there. So we're big on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, and then my contact information is on there as well. So we actually just redesigned our website. I did it myself. So go check it out. Let me know what you guys think. Yeah, give them a little bit of love. Obviously, Sean and the guys over there and gals over there are doing a really phenomenal job of trying to uh, yet again, redefine the culture in their community, but more importantly, try to, uh, being a part of this show, redefine cultures across the United States and have any impacts he can. Sean, always a wonderful opportunity to speak with you on the show. Um, this has, has been, for me, such an amazing uh, conversation. I've, I've been jotting down notes the entire time. You know, it's it's such a uh, an opportunity for me to reflect, and, and anytime I get to speak with guys like you that I have so much respect for and um obviously you know the ins and the outs of both on the field and off the field in the game of soccer and i think that those are opportunities and conversations that we hope that the listeners out there can take just as much as we have from having these conversations away and listen so uh, i'm grateful i'm humbled uh, to have the conversation with you it's always a pleasure and we look forward to having you on hopefully here in the future uh, again soon awesome man hey thanks so much for having me on again it's always a pleasure You bet, buddy. This has been another episode of Between the Post with guest Sean Afkamenia. And we tackled creating a club culture day, and we hope you guys enjoyed it. We will see you again in the future. (laughs) 